if I'm being 100% honest, I can't think of any better Littman's test to find out if someone's a Satanist or full of shit based on whether or not they tell someone else to pray to Satan. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Trevor Campbell. Great to have you. It is October the 10th. <laughs> I actually had to double check that. Uh, I do have a great show for you. <laughs> I think it's going to be pretty good. You judge. <laughs> what do I know? I put these together in the morning before coffee. So clearly I'm not right in the head when I'm doing it. And then I sit around all day doing everything that I got to do for the day reflecting a little bit on, oh, should I have done that? Maybe I should have done this instead as a topic. But it's already set in stone. I already sent out the email. You can't, you can't resend an email. Then I would just be spamming you. And arguably enough of you already think that I'm spamming you, even though you signed up for my fucking email list. So, kind of weird. All right. <laughs> in the devil's advocate, we're going to be talking about stop explaining yourself. Not stop explaining, comma, yourself, but rather stop explaining yourself. Is that, is that clear? I don't know if it's clear or not. In uh, the Infernal Informant, parents of high school students started a petition to remove a principal who loves classic heavy metal band Iron Maiden. Now, controversial statement here. Prepare yourselves. For those of you who need trigger warnings, you're probably going to be triggered here. Iron Maiden isn't that good. I I like them, but I would never go see them in concert. Uh, just not, you know? <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. Let people scream into their cameras. Uh, unvaccinated patient uh, patients are getting kicked off organ transplant wait lists. That's going to be the second article. Mm, yeah. Sounds juicy, right? The man is coming to get you. You're going to be disappointed. No one's coming to get you. And in the creature feature, we're going to close it out with a review of the many saints of Newark. And I'm going to warn you before I get into it, I'm a Sopranos fan. So that should tell you how I feel about this show. This film, I should say. People who freak out between the nomenclature of show versus film, depending on what you're talking about, as if it matters at all. But, oh well. I, it's, it's, been a, it's been a hell of a day. i got to be honest. I am exhausted. My... It's going to sound like I'm talking about one thing, but really I'm not. I'm talking about something completely different. But my wrist is really sore. I mean, just like all of the, the work that I've been doing, <laughs> it's exhausted. <laughs> I, can't, I can't grip anymore because I've been using it so much. Yeah, painting, <laughs> painting a bedroom is what I was talking about. Just like rollers on the ceiling. And for those of you who haven't had the joy of painting your own domain... 
painting ceilings is particularly torturous. It's just like you're craning your neck and arms, and even if you happen to have a pole with which the end of the roller is sitting atop of, you're still craning your neck trying to get you got your paint flecks coming down in your hair and on your clothes, which is why I'm all slicked back and greased and wet because <laughs> I had a bunch of paint in my hair. It's a pain in the tuchus, but that's what I was doing all day, and I'm exhausted, so I just had a drink to help calm my nerves. <laughs> Maybe I had to too deep a pour, but again, I'm going to allow you to be the judge. All right. I got a hell of a conversation happening in here. Uh, defeated program. Welcome to your first live show. Great to see you. Read the Santa Bible if you haven't already. A dog. Dog. Dog is in the house. How you doing, hon? I'm so glad you could make today. How are you, Valeria? <laughs> I'm going to try that again. How are you, Valeria? <laughs> it's great to see you again. Uh, always good to see you. Uh, James, how you doing? What's up, man? Oh, dude. Muddy Waters. Talk about... Talk about some amazing music that influenced so many a white folk <laughs> who ended up making rock and roll. Oh, us whiteys love them. How could you not? I would, I would happily... Like, if there was... If we could have, like, a real-world situation of, um... Oh, damn it. What was that? The moving on up to the east side. What was the name of that? Anyway, that sitcom from like the late 70s, early 80s. I can't for the life of me remember what it's called right now. If Muddy Waters was on there and I was on there as his, like his honky neighbor and all he did the entire show was call me Cracker and Honky just to be in mere proximity. I'd be okay with that. I, like I'd welcome it. Like, yeah, give me the gig. I'll take it. First of all, you can't really insult white men. You can, I mean, you can say we have small penises, but that's not really even an insult. That's just like, yeah, some of us, who cares? Okay, it works. And other than that, what are you going to say? You, you own, I'm stealing from uh, Louis C.K. here. You owned people? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we did. And? Like, we were on the other side of the whip. So it wasn't as bad as you're making it out to be in reflection. Like, I'd feel much worse if I was on the snapping end of the whip than if I was on the handle end, and then you said, you were a slave. Then I'd be like, oh, fuck, yeah, those are horrible, horrible years that my ancestors had to, you know, go through that. But me as a white man, I didn't own any. That was them. <laughs> so that's not really an insult. So there's nothing you can say to a white guy to actually upset him. It's just like, we've got the world in our, I got the world on a string <laughs> and I'm sitting on a rainbow. <laughs> All right. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about right now. Uh, <laughs> I was saying hi to you people. <laughs> this is your fault, James, because you're the last one I said hi to before I went on this diatribe. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Gary, how you doing, man? Good to see you. Lazarus, what's up? Good to see you. Uh, let's see. Who else? Sapphire Rose. Love that name. How you doing, hon? Heather, thanks for joining live. Great to see you. Dandelion Bonds, I love that name too. Great one. Anton, it's good to see you here. Let's see, who else? Who else is in his house? Terry, thanks for joining live. All right, and anyone else who comes in after the fact, it's, it's, it's Sunday. We're just trying to have some fun with a couple other Satanists. You know, we're going to raise a little bit of hell, talk a little bit of probably not as much Satan as you want, 
or you would expect. But that's that kind of comes with the territory, to be quite honest. So, morning, James. Thanks for joining live. All right, let's dive in. Jeffersons, thank you. Sweet hell. Can't believe I couldn't remember the Jeffersons. I used to watch that all the time, and I thought it was hilarious when he would make fun of white dude. And and the white dude was like a wildly wealthy, successful human being, and he acted like he was just like, oh, you said a bad name. Oh, it was like this mild wound, but deep down inside, he was like, I don't care. I still, I'm still on top. <laughs> like, you may have more square footage. You may be the next floor up. Still on top. <laughs> sorry. I'm not really even sorry. I'm just saying that to make you feel better. You know? That's kind of how it is. Jason, that's all I got to do. That's all I do is explain myself. I have these wild thoughts that run through my mind and I just have to, every once in a while, get them out. Because if they don't, my head might explode. Now, it's, it hasn't yet. So, clearly, I'm either doing something right, or I'm a freak hypochondriac. And I'll leave both of those as real possibilities. Alright, let's dive in. My son moved out of our house. Um, I want to talk about being a parent briefly because being a parent is nothing but brief tiny glimpses of joy surrounded by sorry I hit the mic massive echo chambers of pain sorrow fear and terror that's what parenting is it's horrible anyone who tells you that it's great to be a parent is a liar and they're only latching onto those tiny little brief moments. <laughs> the first time I put my son in daycare and I had to go to work and he was at home, you know, you know you're going to be separated from each other. And, you know, it's, it's going to hurt. It hurts. And then the first time that they don't want to hug you in public or give you a kiss or something in public, you know it's coming, but it still hurts. Like, it hurts. Like, you, when they realize... When you realize that they're embarrassed by your behavior, that hurts. I raised you. I, I taught you to have a sense of humor and to be curious and questioning and, and demanding and stand up for yourself. And you can't even, you can't even laugh at my stupid dad joke. <laughs> what the hell? I don't get it, right? So my point is, is that it hurts being a parent. It's just this never-ending tumbling cycle of you're up oh everything's great then oh shit that hurt you're up oh everything's great oh that hurt constantly it sucks and you never have any money because the kids take it you have to give it out to all the kids for all their programs and after school activities and food and shelter and clothing and school and you you just in order to be a parent you have to one hate money and hate your own happiness but besides that, it's great. It's fantastic besides that. Oh, man. So he moved out. And I know I'm going to see him all the time. It's not like I'm never going to see him again. But there's this sense of proximity that's comforting for me being around my kids. I just, I like having them around. I like their sense of humor. I like it, you know, just engaging with them. Even if it's just like, Good morning. How you doing? How you sleep? You know, how was your night? 
that's it. Like that makes me happy. I'm not going to have that anymore. So I had a good night of crying <laughs> like a little baby. <laughs> knowing I'm going to see him again. Knowing I'm probably going to see him tomorrow. And it still hits me right in the heart. Ugh. It's the worst. It's the worst. Um, let's see what else. So we've been painting his old room now for my daughter to move into because it's bigger than the one she's in and just exhausted. Uh, this past week was the 40th anniversary of the Evil Dead. I bet you didn't know that. So the Evil Dead, which when I was growing up, you could not see this film unless it was like a snuff film. It was like a copy of a copy of a VHS. Like they did not exist. Like the evil, the original Evil Dead was one of those films that you only saw on really bad recorded VHS tape. So for me to be able to go to a theater, sit in a recliner seat, surrounded by other mad fans of the Evil Dead, and watch it on the big screen, was amazing. It was amazing. It's not a good film. Like, I like the film. Don't get me wrong. I, I love Bruce Campbell. I love the Evil Dead. But it's not a good film. But the sound design stood out in a theater. It was so intense, the sound design. I never, I have a surround sound system at home, you know, a nice little decent little home theater set up. And it sounds amazing when I watch my, you know, digitally restored HD copy of it. But in the theater, it's next level stuff. If you didn't, if you don't get a chance to watch Evil Dead in the theater while it's on this, you know, 40th anniversary rounds of being released in the theater, and you're a fan, you should probably just cut your eyes out. Like, just, not even with a knife. Like, use a dull spit. Stupid thing I've said all day. Use a dull spoon to carve your eyes out. Fucking idiot. Yeah. Um, you should see it. <laughs> That's all. It was really fun. I went and saw it with Cameron and his uh, wonderful wife and uh, my wonderful wife. And we just ate popcorn and watched a masterpiece of a B-movie <laughs> in pristine, clear, uh, you know, cinema quality screen. And every flaw that you never noticed in the VHS recording of a recording was plainly evident <laughs> in this thing. But I gotta be honest, I, that tree rape scene, it's like on my top five scenes of all time. I... I love, <laughs> sounds really bad, out of context. I love a good tree raping. <laughs> All right, let's start the show. Let's do a little devil's advocate. Sweet hell. an image just for fun it doesn't even really have anything to do with the topic i just thought i have to have an image right so this is the one i landed on stop explaining yourself do yourself a favor stop explaining yourself anton lavey said that he believed that satanists were chromosomally different magus gilmore mentioned that satanists may be a separate ethnicity 
or we may need to carve out an ethnicity in the same way that Jews did. Again, both of these may have been tongue-in-cheek when they were mentioned, or, you know, leaning on the side of trying to make a clear point about us thinking differently than most other people. But the fact is that they were said, and it's something to ruminate on for a minute, right? Just, just consider for a second. The underlying point is that we are, as Satanists, different. We think differently. We act differently. We engage with the world differently than the vast majority of all other humans. That's not to say that we're better than all other humans in anything that we ever do, because, let's be honest, if there's one thing I learned from the film Excalibur, it's the line that, Excal that uh, Merlin said, there's always someone more clever, or there's always someone cleverer than yourself. His point is that no matter how good you are at anything in life, someone else will always be better. And that's a good thing, because there's always going to be a bar for you to try to reach or go above and beyond, simply because the vastness of human expression and talent, right? However, that's even more of a dramatic minority of the population than even we are as a dramatic minority, right? And so there, <laughs> this is bad because it's almost like saying, uh, even if you suck, eh, you know, there's some other people that suck worse than you, <laughs> is another way of looking at, at my point, even though that's not my point. Um, my point is <laughs> that we do in fact see things differently, um, that we do in fact knowingly engage in our best uh, and manipulate the world around us, right? And the majority of people don't do that. They try to operate within the confines of the world around them. And there's a dramatic difference there. One is intention, and one is an obstacle course at best. It is normal for us to want to explain our religion to those who are close to us in an effort to help them understand us more. And the only reason why we would even have to go through this exercise is because, one, we're really excited about this religion when we all first discover it, and finally seeing some religion that actually connects with us as an individual. And two, the fact that finally you have a tangible thing that you can say, look, you thought I was weird, you thought I was crazy, you thought I was like the only one like me, but, and so did I. But the truth is that no, there's actually a religion that connects with everything that I've been saying or feeling or experiencing or doing in the world. Why wouldn't you get excited about that? And so it's natural to want to try to explain to those who you love, who you care about, or maybe who you're trying to get to understand you better. But there's downside. And we have to understand this more than anything else. That they all come in, as we did, with the preconceived notion of what satanism is they've been told by their churches they've been told by the media they've been told by their culture they've been told by the region of the world they live in what satanism is so when you try to say hey i got this satanic bible this is what satanism is they have a never-ending supply of zip it shutting you down just not letting you explain anything at all because they think they know they think that you're a liar and you're wrong, even though it's the exact opposite. So the truth is vastly different 
than what they have been told and what they believe in their core of core of beings. They will not be able to understand fully unless they are Satanists themselves. Or honestly, unless they truly want to break their entire view of what the word Satanism can possibly mean. And that is rare that anyone will upset their life by accepting new information. Now, we Satanists, at the best of times, that's a normal thing to us. We question all things. We question our own religion. We question our own choices. But for the vast majority of people, they once they've buckled into an idea, they're not unbuckling that shit. It's a law. Hey, this is what I do. I put these two pieces together. I'm safe. I don't have to think about anything anymore because I know it. I already have buckled my seatbelt. I'm not getting out. It's hard for them. You cannot expect to be understood in life. First of all, no one cares about you like you care about yourself. It's solipsistic for you to expect others to care about you in the way that you care about yourself. Even your parents, even your significant other if you have one. No one cares about you as much as you do. And so no one is going to go to the lengths of understanding and dissecting your own mind like you. And to expect other people to jump through that many insane hurdles, to wade their way through Saturday morning cartoons and the Jefferson's theme song and, you know, all the crazy stuff that you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. No one's going to want to do that. They got their own shit to worry about. So why do you think that they should ever try to understand you or that you even have a, a, a sliver of a chance in hell of getting them to understand you? When you try to explain yourself, you are essentially trying to dumb down what you are, what you believe, in order for them to understand you. So you're taking a religious philosophical system and trying to break it down to its, its, its uh, molecular levels and then distill it into some sort of squid game reality TV show for them to understand. I actually haven't seen Squid Game. I don't even know if that's the real actual title of it. I just know it's been mentioned a couple times in chat and it's I've seen it in the news a little bit. So I hope that makes sense because I genuinely don't know if it does. It's just sort of, you know, off the cuff here. Um, ultimately, is the distilled version of Satanism, is the safe space trigger warning version of Satanism, what attracted you to the original in the first place? And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, no, no, that is not what attracted you to this religion because that is not a part of the religion. Your efforts to dumb it down so that dumb and dumber can understand it is not the religion itself. And it's certainly not the way that you perceive the religion. You're just jumping through those stupid hurdles in order to make someone else understand it. And ultimately, all you're doing is giving people another false idea of what the religion is because then they don't see it as the complex, dangerously self-empowering religion that it actually is. They see the stupid stripped down version that you just fucking did puppets for to explain it to them.
Is that what you think other Satanists think this religion is? And so even if you are going through those crazy motions to try to break it down to its simplest form so that they can understand what it is, that's what they're going to think it is when they're addressing other Satanists in the world or when they're talking about Satanism. They're going to think it's that stripped down stupid version of itself. And there's nothing more dangerous. There's nothing more empowering. There's nothing more dramatically terrifying than that satanic idea of responsibility to the responsible that we take our own lives in our own hands. We take responsibility for our own actions and we are going to do everything we can. We are going to manipulate reality itself. But they're not going to get any of that. They're not going to get even a fraction of that with you trying to dumb it down so that they understand it. Now, we don't understand why a worker bee is content with being a worker bee. So why would we ever expect a worker bee to understand why a god is content and proud of being a god? Just think about that for a second, because make no mistake about it. We are our own gods. We don't put the fate of our lives in an imaginary uh, constructs hands we knock it out of those imaginary hands and we hold on to it with ours we admit that yes we're going to make mistakes but god damn it we're going to do everything we can to be on top whatever our on top is we're going to be the best version of ourselves whatever that means to you as an individual but a fucking ant isn't going to understand that so why are you trying to explain it to an ant Others will not understand you. They never will. But the most important part of this is that you shouldn't care. If they don't understand what this religion is after its existence over 50 years, with literature being out there, going through a satanic panic, where every single time, every daytime talk show had a Satanist on, they were explaining clearly what the religion is, and they still don't understand it? You're spinning your wheels. There's no point. Stop. And the, the most ironic part of this, all that energy you're spending trying to get those people you care about to understand who and what you actually are, you're giving it away when you could be using it to better yourself, your position, your goals. It's energy that you're wasting rather than using responsibly. It doesn't make any sense. We have to get to a point, and, and most Satanists do. Um, arguably, every Satanist I've ever met does. So I can safely feel like I can say that you know most, most Satanists do. It doesn't matter whether others understand you. It only matters if you understand you. And the more that you're spending time worrying about what others think about you, the less you are trying to figure out yourself. And there's no enigma more powerful in life than truly unlocking what you are, who you are, to yourself. Understanding what really makes you tick. Understanding what really turns you on. Understanding how to get yourself off if you need to get yourself off. Or how to 
talk to yourself in a position of stress in order to get over the next hill that you're hiking, you know, after that 10th mile, or you're doing that marathon and you're in the, the final stretch of the marathon, what's going to keep you in the game until you hit that finish line? No one else is going to understand what that is for you. And you won't either if all you're doing is focusing on others. And this idea of self-work is not something that you just start and finish. You know, it's not, a, it's not like some, some scholastic test that you take that, you know, oh, it's 20 minutes. Whether, whether you finish the test or not, you have to be finished because the time limit's up. That, that is not a thing in life. You're going to be on your deathbed and there are still going to be parts of yourself that you're trying to understand or you're discovering. That's what's amazing about these chemical machines that we all are, right? That, that we will never fully understand everything because as individuals, we are constantly evolving. We are constantly changing our opinions and our thoughts we're constantly changing our drives and motivations. Our goals in life are going to shift and change with experience, with time. There's something incredibly amazing about that. That no matter how much work you put into yourself, you're still never going to understand 100%. But putting that work in gives you a leg up in life. It actually allows you, it affords you the opportunity to to become the best version of you now, knowing that you're going to continue working the next moment on. There's something genuinely amazing about that. And knowing the amount of work that it takes just simply to understand who you are, how could anyone else ever fathom that? Right? Why would they ever want to try to, to unravel that knot when they're still working on them or they're just happy, moving through life, going to work, coming home, watching reality show, doing it again, right? So I know it's a, it's a very rational, understandable first phase action to try to explain Satanism to everyone, to try to make people understand why you are such an empowered human being. The better way is to show them. Show them through your actions, through what you do in life. Because when they find out that you're a Satanist and they see all the amazing things that you've done in life, all the hurdles that you've had to fight to get through, all the stumbling blocks that maybe you were born into regionally in your own fucked up family, culturally the fact that you can persevere and get through it and be a responsible respectful human being and they find out you're a satanist then you've just done more work for the religion than any asshole trying to explain it for any amount of time because you've done it through your own actions you've proven it you didn't have to say a word about it they just see you, associate you with Satanism, and suddenly they get it. It's a much more effective way. All right. What do you guys have to say here? What do you guys have to say? Uh, you don't even try. You feel a need to 
defend yourself to anyone, your people know well enough not to try to understand you. Thank you. We don't fucking owe them jack. Um, let's see. Thanks for advocating this situation many people face. Hey, Villa. Thanks for joining live, man. Uh, this is no Satanism for dummies. <laughs> and it should remain so. Satanism isn't about making others understand. It's about understanding reality and bending it to your will. Well said, Jeff. Absolutely. Thanks for joining live, man. Um, let's see. You like the analogy, but when trying to explain it at first, your family would not listen and now think you're an evil Satan worshiper. <laughs> well, there you go. You might have done yourself a disservice, my man. And I got to tell you, I got to be honest, because everyone goes through this, right? Not everyone, you know, tries to explain it and stuff, and maybe they don't have parents to explain it to because everyone's, you know, lives are dramatically different. I, I was raised in a religious household. And so when I first came out as a Satanist, my mom lost her fucking mind. And she, you know, I was trying to explain the religion to her, but again, she has all the baggage that was force-fed into her through the religion and through the Satanic Panic that she thought I was, Satan's a liar, so you're just lying to me. You're believing the lies he's telling to you, you know? And hey, you can't win. You cannot win with that attitude. With people like that, with that perspective, there is no chance of you winning. So why try? The more you dig in trying to explain it, the more damage you're doing to yourself in the long run. And the more they're just thinking you're insane trying to convince them of something that they genuinely believe that they think is a lie. So don't even bother. No explaining it to people that have never heard of it is useful. Trying to teach them is not. It's all about purpose and intent. Eventually someone's going to ask, what did you say? Yeah, and again... You got to read the audience, right? Like I have had friends who had found out that I was a Satanist and they're like, whoa, whoa what, what does that mean? And then they're open. They ask the question. And so then I'm going to jump right in with my pamphlets and my marker boards and my strings attached to pictures, you know, <laughs> very sort of conspiracy theory like, uh, no, that's, you know, you try to baby step, you know, like, like when you're first getting into a pool, you don't know how cold it is, right? You don't know how much shrinkage you're going to experience. So you got to dip a toe in. All right. You think you can handle that? Then you get in. That's how you got to approach it to people who are willing, who have asked the question. You know. I don't know. That, that was... <laughs> I was trying to do like a whole Seinfeld thing and then mix it with like a... It didn't work. Uh, nobody can know everything by having friends that know... What you are is useful for spreading. Wow, I can't even get through that. Um, if I'm admitting to being a Satanist, I would lose your job, career instantly. You're jealous of reverend and a satanic privilege. Sean, let me say this. I do not wear a sigil of Baphomet um, professionally, ever. And personally, the only time I ever wear one is when I'm uh, in a ritual, actually. Um, I have it tattooed on me. <laughs> That's different. Uh, I don't tell my employers that I'm a Satanist. I don't hide it, right? If they did a search, I'm sure they would see me, but I don't hide it. But here's the reality of it. I'm not proselytizing. I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything. I'm just being an excellent employee, right? I'm a, I'm a partner in my advertising agency. So I'm, I'm being a productive business partner. So if they ever did do the Google searches and... <laughs> my videos came up and they saw me talking like I am now, they would be like, 
wow, I had no idea. That's, that's amazing. But it clearly can't be that terrible because the truth is, is I enjoy working for him for the better part of a decade and a half. You know, I've been a productive member of the team for so long that any misconceptions that they've had about this religion are just going to flake off like some crazy case of dandruff or something, you know? My point is, and I, 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 I nail this uh, down in the Greater Stand-Up Conversation, is that you have to embody the religion. Don't speak about it. Don't, don't, don't try to proselytize it. Don't try to throw it up as a monument on the Capitol steps like some fucking asshole. No, just be it. Don't dream it. <laughs> be it. Sorry, I had to throw a little Rocky Horror in there. You know me. I love that stuff. All right. Um, get outed accidentally to coworkers at your job. One asking you if you were a kid joking. I outed myself to one of my um, coworkers once. He just jokingly made some reference about satanic ritual to me, which I thought was wildly strange out of the blue. Like, I've never made a joke or heard anyone make a joke about satanic ritual to me unless they knew that I was a Satanist, right? And he just did. And so I had to pull him aside after work hours. I was like, hey, let me talk to you for a second. What did you mean by that? <laughs> and he genuinely didn't mean anything. He was just, I was just trying to make a joke. That's it. It's like, okay, well, here's the deal. And, you know, I set it up and, and he understood it. So that's all. That's it, right? Embody who you are as a Satanist and you will do wonders for explaining what Satanism is through your actions over you trying to sit someone down and have a heart to heart with them. And just stop, stop trying. This is like the biggest hurdle that you have to get through. Who cares? Who cares if they understand who you are? Their understanding of you does not make you a better person. It does not give you a leg up in life. It doesn't. Just focus on you. That's all you have to do. And that's all that's ever expected of you. But it is expected. All right. Don't rest on your laurels, people. Um, dude, I'd love to get tattooed for you, from you. Uh, not for free, though. I, I pay for my shit. I'll have to check out your work, man. Uh, Brandon, thanks for joining live. All right. That's all I had. That was an actually extra long one. Let's do a little Infernal Informant. Cameron, I need to just isolate the music video that you and I did because that's gold. That is just gold. If you guys haven't seen that video, you're missing out. It's it's ridiculous. It's just it was so much fun to record too. The crazy looks <laughs> that we were getting. It was so worth it. All right. Uh, Parents of high school students started a petition to remove a principal who loves classic heavy metal band Iron Maiden. <laughs> this is from insider.com and it was spread around everywhere. Um, I mean, you got to love Eddie, right? Like, and they, their music's not bad. It's just, you know, I'd choose Guns N' Roses any day over Iron Maiden. That's just, that's how I roll. Parents of high school students in South uh, St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada have started a petition. <laughs> petition to remove a school official because of the classic heavy metal band 
Iron Maiden. Close to 400 people have signed the Change.org petition to transfer Eden High School Principal Sharon Burns. iHeartRadio reported that the petition was started by Debbie Lynn. Quote, as concerned parents with impressionable children at Eden High School in St. Catharines, Ontario, were deeply disturbed that the principal assigned to the school blatantly showed satanic symbols and her allegiance to satanic practices on her public social media platforms where all the students can see them under at Eden Principal, not her personal account, the petition said. And you can see her right there. You might not be able... God, gee, I gotta reach. 666 right in the little heart there. That's her endorsing satanic symbols and practices. On Friday, an update on the petition said that they didn't want to remove Burns because of her love for Iron Maiden but rather because of openly displaying her own handmade sign with 666 clearly displayed on it. I don't, for those of you who are not familiar with Iron Maiden, there's a song <laughs> that, that has those three numbers in it that I am doing everything I can not to sing right now. And it's not easy because I want to, but I won't. I do this for you. <laughs> and my own dwindling dignity. <laughs> um, on Friday, an update on the petition said that they didn't... Oh, yeah, I did that. Uh, the number 666 is used to represent the devil, antichrist, or evil. Burns' Twitter buyer bio identifies her as principal at Eden High School, growth mindset practitioner, fueled by metal and ska and chickens. I gotta be honest with you, I don't do social media at all, but if I saw someone with like their personal bio description like this, that's someone I want to like have a cup of coffee with. That's someone that I want to have a drink with. I want to be in their sphere of life. That sounds amazing. Principal Eden High School, growth mindset practitioner fueled by metal, sky, and chickens? Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. The petition in support of Burns had more than 10,000 supporters by Friday night. Quote, it is ridiculous that a couple of parents only judge her role as a principal based on an Instagram post about liking the band Iron Maiden. That's it. Eden High School is a public school, not a Christian school. If you somehow don't like the principal of your child, grandchild, relative, etc., send them somewhere else, it said. The incident is reminiscent of the satanic panic of the 1980s when conspiracy theorists claimed satanic cults were abusing children, NPR reported. I'm a fan of NPR, but they're full of shit here. And uh, this was sent to me uh, by an individual. I, I don't know if you're in the chat here, so I don't want to call you out. Um, so thank you so much for sending this to me. But we, as Satanists, are so much closer to this idea than anyone else in the world, which should give us a little bit more perspective than anyone else in the world about it. This is not satanic panic. This is a group of religious fanatics bitching. That's it. There's nothing close to sit. For those of you who didn't grow up and live in the satanic panic, people's lives were ruined. Not in the court of public opinion, but literally, they lost their fucking jobs. They were run out of town. In some cases, they were murdered or incarcerated for no reason. At all. 
Someone making a change.org petition and getting 400 other stupid humans to sign it is not a satanic panic, nor is it anywhere in the fucking ballpark. <laughs> now I want to quote Pulp Fiction. Maybe your method of <laughs> foot massage differs from mine, but, but touching a woman's foot and sticking your tongue in the holiest of holies is not the same fucking game. It's not in the same fucking ballpark. This is not a satanic panic. Simply... <laughs> You're always going to have 400, 500, 1,000, 10,000 maniacs out there who believe whatever you enjoy is insane and satanic. And anything you say is only going to embolden them more. So just let it roll off. Just fucking shake it off. I, I won't be doing that song. Just ignore it. It doesn't matter. The fact that they have 10,000 people championing the principle and 400 saying get out my house come on this is not satanic panic and npr better fucking know better this is ridiculous i'm so tired of every single time someone says anything with satanic in the middle of it us satanists clutch our pearls and throw our hands up and our, our doilies fly through the air oh good gracious it's another satanic panic grow the fuck up it's already happened and what this should prove to you more than anything else is that that can't happen anymore because ten thousand people were on her side only 400 weren't so if this was a satanic panic situation Satan won! We did it! We made it! We're number one! Stop bitching! What is wrong with fucking Satanists? You guys are the most temperamental, whiny-ass people I've ever met in my life. Fucking social media goes down for a few hours and you're tearing your fucking hair out! Ah! Have some self-respect. Come on, people. You should be better than this. There is no satanic panic. It cannot happen again because there's too many rational human beings who have already lived through the first one. They saw how absurd it is. And yeah, you're always going to get some more people who will buy into the bullshit. You're always going to have the weird fanatics that try to send a bomb or poison or try to shoot you dead in the street. That's life. It sucks, but welcome to America. But it is not a cultural event that is destroying lives. It's a change.org petition. It's free. Anyone can go up there. Go up there right now. I, I defy you. <laughs> no one do this. <laughs> Go to change.org, make a petition to shut down Reverend Campbell's huge channel because it's satanic. Yeah! It is! This actually is! That is not! There's a difference. <laughs> Fucking stupid, man. Fuck. I'm sorry, dog. I didn't mean to freak out. It's just, I, there's so many... There's only so many times you can run across someone sending you texts or emails or messages or in person sharing anecdotal stories and saying how, oh my gosh, we need to buckle down the hatches because there's a new satanic panic coming. Okay. Okay. 
Could it happen again? A comet could hit us right now. I don't know. Yeah, of course. Anything is possible. But will it? Really? I'm betting against it. And not because I have faith in humanity, because... Whoa. <laughs> no, thank you. I do not. But we've already played this game before, right? You need more distance between before you do it again, right? We need like 100 years. And then we'll have another standard panic because people will have not lived through the first one, right? It'll be like this, this uh, ancient memory like the witch trials where it becomes like a fable that, that school children are taught about, right? Oh, yeah. Back in the day, there were these witchcraft people who had a, 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 a nursery, a daycare, and, and they would send these little babies on, on flights and they would make them fly on their broomsticks all around and they would sacrifice some of them and they would molest others. And, you know, it was a big thing. It was in the news. And Sally Jeffrey, Jesse Raphael talked about it on her, on her show. Yeah, it was a thing. And then with enough distance and time, no one will know how fucking bullshit those stories are or how, how they're easily they were debunked. So that, yeah, enough idiots can band together to believe nonsense bullshit and then, you know, try to do something. But not now. We're so close to it. It's just like, the, I, I can still smell the, the satanic panic musk. The musk is still fresh, right? No, it's still there, man. <laughs> I actually didn't have anything else I want to say about that. I just... <laughs> I just wanted to shit on the idea that it's a, it's, it sounds like it's another satanic panic throwback. Shut up. No, it's just a bunch of stupid religious nut jobs who don't like the numbers six, six, and six next to each other. That's it. If they were smart, they'd understand that nine is the devil's number. <laughs> All right, let's do this next one. Where is my image? Here we go. Unvaccinated patients are getting kicked off organ transplant waitlists. ArsTechnica.com is sending this one to us. A growing number of medical facilities across the country are directing coveted organ donations to patients who have been vaccinated against COVID-19, pushing people who remain unvaccinated down or even off of the transplant waiting waitlists. I'm going to give you time to allow your furious rants to build your righteous indignation before I go into the rest of this. Because on the surface, it sounds like gasp. Why would they ever do that? That's terrible. That's horrible. That makes no sense until you think about it a little bit. So let's think about it a little bit. The thinking behind this move is simple. With transmission of the pandemic coronavirus still high in the U.S., Unvaccinated transplant candidates face an extremely high risk of COVID-19, which poses a danger to them and imperils the usefulness of these scarce, life-saving organs. Receiving a transplant organ requires patients to take uh, immunosuppressant drugs that will prevent their bodies from rejecting the new organ as foreign. But this immunosuppression also makes the recipients highly susceptible to becoming infected with the pandemic coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2 and developing severe COVID-19. Some experts estimate the transplant recipient's risk of dying from COVID-19 is as high as 20 to 30%. Odds of survival have long been factored into prioritize. Now, hold on, I wanna, I, I ran through that really quick. 
because it sounded low. But we need to reflect here for a second. In the midst, before we knew how to deal with COVID-19, the mortality rate was still in the 1% area, right? We lost over 600,000 before we really wrapped our hands around how to deal with this virus. So much so, I'm going to give some personal information here. My father-in-law, who is battling cancer for the third time, got coronavirus because he's a Republican and didn't get the fucking vaccine. Stupid. But his stupidity is alleviated by the fact that doctors know how to fucking treat it. So even with his body as weak and racked with cancer as it is, he was able to beat coronavirus. So that tells you a lot when the dangers of a regular healthy person dying is infinitesimally below 1%. If you're getting a transplant, it bumps it up to 30%. That's huge. And you have to wait years to get a fucking organ on those lists. Years. So you finally get one. And you're fucking your options of survival by not getting a goddamn vaccine. Odds of survival have long been factored in prioritizing who get donated organs. And requiring vaccinations against devastating infectious diseases is also standard. Organ recipients are already generally required to be vaccinated against hepatitis A, B, influenza, and tetanus, among other diseases. Still, COVID-19 vaccines, which are newly approved by the Food and Drug Administration, are fresh on the list. On August 13th, the American Society of Transplantation and International Society for Heart and Lung Transplants, ISHLT, released a joint statement recommending that all solid organ transplant recipients should be vaccinated against SARS-CoV-2 as should all eligible household and close contacts of those recipients. More and more transplant programs are adopting the policy, but not yet all. The reality of unvaccinated patients getting kicked off of some organ wait lists recently made headlines when the story of an unvaccinated Colorado woman named Lalani Lutali, UC Health in Denver denied Lutali's kidney transplant surgery because she was unvaccinated and informed her in a letter that she would be listed as inactive on a kidney transplant waiting list if she didn't get the first vaccine dose within 30 days. Lutali, who told the Associated Press that she's a born-again Christian with a denomination without a denomination, says she objects to vaccines on religious grounds. With the national patchwork of vaccine requirements for transplant patients, Lutali is now seeking a transplant in another state, such as Texas or Florida, in facilities that do not require COVID-19 vaccination. Okay, so she believes in vaccines to have all of the other vaccines that are required previously, but this is the one that she's literally going to stand ground and die on? stupidity is painful and she should die because of this she is the one thing in her own way of survival right that's it all she has to do is get the first of two doses and then she can get the organ stupid
and to blame it on your religion like you're some fucking la-di-da non-denominational born-again christian i should have religious like fucking jazz fuck you fuck you fuck your god fuck your religion and you most of all fuck you you don't deserve the organ you don't deserve to be spreading your seed on this rock hurling through space because you're part of the problem idiot quote i feel like i'm being coerced into not being able to wait and see that i have to take the shot if i want a life-saving transplant lutali told kaiser health news the outlet noted that there are nearly 107 thousand people waiting for organs in the u.s more than 90,000 of them are like lutali waiting for a kidney dozens of people in need of various organs die each day while waiting but she wants the exception she's special quote we mandate hepatitis and influenza vaccines and nobody had an issue with that Dr. Patel, <laughs> director of the lung transplant program at Tampa General Hospital in Florida, told KHN. And now we have this one vaccine that can save lives and make an impact on the post-transplant recovery phase. And we have this huge uproar from the public. You know what? No. No. They're doing the right thing. They're making the right choices. They're getting those organs to people with the best possibility of recovering with them. It's ridiculous. It's like you're going to get lung transplants and you're still smoking. Come on. What are you doing? What are you doing? No, you don't get it. You're too stupid to get it. Oh, and every one of these fucking anti-vax fanatics or even some of you out there watching this who are like, oh, no, it's a, it's a personal choice. I don't think I should. I have the right to not get it. Yeah, you're right. You don't. You also have the right to die and to fuck off and just leave this planet. I won't stop you. Go along. Do your thing. But don't expect society to bend over backward for your privilege. Your sense of self-value. As I said at the very top of the show, no one cares about you. No one. So don't expect them to. No one has to respect your ideas. No one has to respect your religion. We Satanists should know that better than anyone. All these fucking Christians are just like, ooh, I'm so special. I believe in invisible people. That means I can do whatever I want. La-di-da. Fuck you. Fucking Jesus-worshipping pieces of shit. You have ruined this goddamn fucking globe for thousands of years. Thousands. Isn't that enough? It's not bad enough that you have stinted fucking education and knowledge across the globe. You've halted progress for thousands of years. That's not enough? You have to keep going still? Grow the fuck up. Not that I really have an opinion on the matter. I'm just saying. <laughs> fucking people. Honestly. There's nothing worse than any human. I don't care if you're a Satanist or a Christian or anything else. Blaming their religion for your behavior. I would do it, but I just, I can't because my religion says I shouldn't. Shut up.
You don't even believe that. You're leaning on that because you're too weak to stand on your own two feet and take responsibility for your own decisions. Pathetic. Oh, we should just fucking roll every one of these motherfuckers out who are just shitting in everyone else's fucking Cheerios. The saying is pissing in Cheerios, but I just feel like it's a little worse to actually like drop a deuce in someone's bowl. It would be like floating, half submerged. It would be really gross. Much worse than pee, right? I mean, no one likes pee, but still. Some people like pee. <laughs> I think I think our doctor liked pee. But that was like a fetish thing. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to judge someone. You know, you don't want to judge. <laughs> I'm not into water sports, I guess is what I'm saying. I'm not even into shitting in Cheerios, but I just thought it was gross. And I can't stop dissecting why I even came up with it in the first place. Because clearly I have some fucked up deficiency in my brain to think about actively squatting over someone's bowl of Cheerios. Like, what are they doing? Are they watching you? Or did they, like, go to get the newspaper from the front yard and you just saw the opportunity, drop trow and pinch it off? Like, that's... <laughs> Alright, never mind. I'm, I'm gonna stop. I'll stop. Like the smell, you, you would come in the house and the smell would hit you before you even got to your bowl, is what I'm saying. There's no way that anyone would ever mistake the bowl. Like Cheerios stinks, right? Cheerios like genuinely stink. And there's nothing worse than Cheerio breath. Except for shitty Cheerio breath. <laughs> oh. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. That's all I had. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck is happening today. Oh, jeez. You guys are in for something. Uh, let's do a little creature feature. Let's have a little bit of fun because I really enjoyed this film much more than it seemed like everyone else did. So on IMDb, this has 6.4 out of 10. Uh, in Rotten Tomatoes, it's 73% on the tomato meter and 58% audience score, which is not good. What I'm talking about is The Many Saints of New York. Now, this is a crime drama film directed by Alan Taylor. It was written by David Chase and Lawrence Koner. The logline is this. Witness the making of Tony Soprano, a story that reveals the humanity behind Tony's struggles and the influence his family, especially his uncle, Dickie Moltisanti, had over him, becoming the most iconic mob boss of all time. So the film follows a violent gang war from the perspectives of mobster Dickie Moltisanti and his teenage nephew, Tony Soprano, in the midst of the city's 1967 race riots. This is in uh, America. The cast is uh, Alessandro uh, Nivola as Dickie Moltisanti, Leslie Odom Jr. as Harold McBrayer, Vera Farmiga as Livia Soprano, John Bernthal as Johnny Soprano, Corey Stoll as Junior Soprano, Ray Liotta, I love Ray Liotta in mob movies, doesn't happen a lot, in Holly as Hollywood Dick Moltisanti and Salvatore Sally Moltisanti, their twin brothers, and uh, Michael Gandolfini as Tony Soprano. Tony's uh, actually uh, the original actor's son is playing himself. And then uh, William Ludwig, Ludwig as young Tony Soprano. 
So those are the main core cast here. Um, if you ever watch The Sopranos, I've watched it, uh, I think, three or four times the seasons all the way through. I am kind of obsessed with it. It, it was a groundbreaking TV series when it came out because it was the first wildly successful anti-hero um, where you're actually cheering for the bad guy, Tony Soprano. And he is a bad guy. The first episode, he's chasing down someone that owes him money, hits him with a car, and then orders uh, his... Uh, um, um, fuck, what is the guy's name? I can't remember his name for right now. Anyway, he orders his uh, henchman, I can't remember his goddamn name, to like beat his ass. And so he's like kicking him and punching him and then Tony gets in there like that's how you're introduced to the character. So you clearly know this is a horrible human being and yet for every season and every episode of every season you're cheering for this guy to be successful. It's crazy. And it was the first wildly successful film to do that or a series to do that. No one and it completely changed television. Like you can go back and and look at any type of uh, series nowadays and then think about how groundbreaking they are. Sopranos, they really set the stage to allow it to just bust open and be weird and wild and crazy. It's such a wonderful series. And what's great about this film is that everything that Tony Soprano is reflecting on throughout all of those seasons about the good old days and you know how the, the mafia was great back in the day, that's what this film is about, that back in the day. And it's really crazy because it's, it's juxtaposed against the race riots. So you're getting racism from uh, general white population against black population. But you're also getting racism from Italians specifically onto literally everyone else. Um, and it just goes to show that literally everyone is racist. <laughs> everyone. Even you. Yeah, you. Don't look around your shoulder. I'm looking at you. It's like everyone has a little bit of racism in it. Sometimes, you know, you can hide it. Sometimes you don't even know it's there. Sometimes it's cultural or maybe it was just learned. You know, you were taught it. Sometimes it's regional. Sometimes it's religious. Yeah, religious racism is a thing. I mean, it's just a part of life. We're tribal creatures, right? And we do our best not to be assholes in the in, at the best of times, we do our best not to be assholes. But being able to sort of live vicariously in this mob world, that this fictional mob world that's set in a real environment that did really exist, and the events in this mob world parallel real-world mob world events, it is very much a time capsule, right? We get to go back in time and relive this stuff. But it's even doubly made special because if you did watch Sopranos in all of those seasons faithfully, there's so many stories that they have flashback sequences on or they just talk about that we actually see in this film. It's really, really cool. So as a fan, I'm watching this like, like talking to my wife who has not watched all these series as I have. I'm like, oh shit! That's the guy that did the thing, and they, they, they were, you know, they, they, we actually saw that as a flashback, but now they're doing it again as a different perspective, and it's amazing, and, like, it's a whole new level. It's like fan service to the nth degree. So, if you have not seen the series Sopranos, 
don't watch this film. I just don't even bother watching it because it's not going to make sense to you because it is not a film that you can jump into and think, oh, this is a prequel to the Sopranos story. So I'm going to watch this and then I'm going to watch the series. If you do that, you are spoiled in the first opening scene about some major events that happen in the final seasons of Sopranos. So it is not something as your first venture into this universe to try to figure out at all. This is, this is after you've done the time and watched all the episodes. Then watch this film, and you're going to appreciate it infinitely more. But I just want to talk about Ray Liotta for a second. Goodfellas is quite possibly a perfect film in every regards. And it's made a perfect film in large part because of Ray Liotta. Now, he's not the only one. They had an amazing cast, an amazing director, and amazing cinematographers and music and everything. But Ray Liotta is so wildly underrated, I don't know why he's not doing more mob shows. He's fantastic. So he comes, like the opening scene, he's the, he's the father of the, the family. You know, he's the, and that sounds stupid, but the mob, he's like the, the big boss of this mob family, this Jersey crime family. He comes back with this beautiful young Italian girl from Italy. Um, he's been over there hobnobbing with the Cosa Nostra. He comes back and, you know, he's, he's got his ideas about what he wants to do, but he also wants to have more kids with this woman and this Italian woman and you sort of bring her into American culture and she's never been to America, so she's wildly excited and it's a big privilege and honor for her. But then she sees his son. Yeah, Dickie Moltisanti. And she immediately gives him the look. <laughs> So, so for those of you who may not know what the look is, it's referenced in the Standard Bible, but the look is just fuck me eyes. She gives him fuck me eyes in the first second that she sees him. And we think it's because it's Dickie. Dickie Moltisanti is an awesome character. He's the guy that Tony Soprano looked up to more than his own father because he actually was invested in Tony as a human being, as a, as a you know, like a surrogate son. He, you know, he would like rag on him when he did bad stuff, but he never really told him not to do it. He tried to drag him into the family, even when Tony didn't really want to be a part of the whole family. And the fact is that Tony was an incredibly smart child, but he grew up in the most toxic of situations. His mom was a, a manic depressive uh, self-hating woman. She hated joy and happiness and she ruined her kids possibilities for futures as much as any human possibly could without actively murdering them. Um, their father was basically absent because he was off doing his criminal stuff or he was incarcerated for doing his criminal stuff. And so all he had to look for is Tony Soprano as a, a father figure, as, as someone to, to um, sort of emulate in life was Dickie Moltisanti. And so he saw this crime family who is wildly successful, incredibly respected. He wants to be like that. What young kid wouldn't want to be like that, right? Welcome to Night Circle, Marcy. Great to see you. Um, it, it's it's anyway. I, I, my point is is that this is a fantastic film. <laughs> it was so much fun to watch. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm not going to really give you any plot points because there are spoilers. Uh, if you are going to end up watching it, it's in theaters, or if you have HBO Max, you can also watch it with the premium version of HBO Max. Uh, subscription service. 
I just watched it at home. It, the cost of the subscription service for a month is less than the cost of a ticket in the theater. And this isn't exactly a summer blockbuster type film that you would need to see it in a theater environment, you know? So, eh, whatever. I love this film. I give it, you know, on the, the, the four banana sticker Satanist on Cinema uh, scale that uh, Cameron put up, I give it four banana stickers. Because, again, if you're not a Sopranos fan, or if you haven't seen Sopranos, it's not going to make much sense to you, and it spoils a whole lot of stuff, and it's just not going to really ring personal to you. So you're probably going to you know, think of it like a, a two or a three. But if you're a Sopranos fan and you love the writing of um, um, David Chase, you're going to love this film. And Chase has uh, expressed interest in producing a sequel to The Many Saints of Newark that follows Tony Soprano in his 20s, provided that he could collaborate with former Sopranos writers Terrence Winter. And upon hearing this, Winter replied that he would do it in a heartbeat, absolutely. So, look in the future to get another film. But, okay, so the, I'm saying all this praise. I do have some problems. Here's, here's my problem. It's only a film, right? Sopranos was a series that I think it was like eight seasons long. Like, it, it had time to breathe. It had air to develop character arcs. You had time to really just sit and steep in what it means to be in the Soprano crime family. And you grew to love it, obsessively so, and rightfully so, because it's wildly entertaining. This film is only two hours. It's not enough time to tell the massive story that it's telling and really do it justice. They could have broke this into a mini-series of seven one-hour episodes, and it would have been brilliant it would have been amazing so i'm excited that they're talking about doing another film but the truth is i want a series i just i want a series because i there's there are there are stories that are suitable to film that are fine in a two two and a half hour one and a half hour segment like that's you, you can tell the whole story and that's a perfect format for it but there are other stories that require a little bit of stretching they require a bathroom break or two to get through. You need to think about series for those types of stories. When you really want to sink in to these characters, give them time with the series. And that's why I'm so excited about what Star Wars is doing right now. A little bait and switch there for you people. Um, because Star Wars is leaning really heavy on a lot of series for like uh, Obi-Wan or The Mandalorian, where I want to spend time with these characters. So if they just gave me a two-hour movie, yeah, that would be awesome. But they're going to indulge me as a fan, and I'm going to throw money at them for doing it. So if fucking David Chase would just let us give him money, <laughs> then it would be amazing. Like, I would, I would happily subscribe to HBO for forever if he would keep telling these stories. Because they're that good. Anyway, check out the film if you're a Sopranos fan, and if not... You just wasted, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes or 15 minutes <laughs> listening to me talk about it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I know, look, more than anyone, 
I know I can be a maniac and just sort of go off on wild rants and scream and, you know, not everyone agrees with me. And maybe if it's even popular to say that you disagree with me, even though maybe you kind of do agree with what I'm saying. Um, but the fact is that even if you're staunchly against everything I say, you're still tuning in because you just want to hear another satanic perspective. And that means the world to me and is testament to what Satanism is. That it's not one understood idea. The religion is. But living Satanism is dramatically different. And it's interpreted and experienced dramatically different. And you don't have to agree with each other. You don't even have to like other Satanists. But for me, in some cases, I do respect those I disagree with. And that's rare because I don't often respect people that I don't agree with in other religions, let alone Satanism. So you got to love this thing of ours. It's very weird. It's very wild. It's very different. And I dig it. And I'm so glad that you guys do too. So thank you so much for joining me for another episode. That is it for this time. Uh, if you want to learn about any other of the, I don't know why I'm doing this a lot today. I don't normally do this. I don't even know where I got this from, this whole hand slap. And it's not even like a clap, because it's like a backhand thing. It's like a pimp slap to my other hand, like, you're not my beat-off hand. What is wrong with you? <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stop before I fucking get crazier. Um, have a great week, everyone. <laughs> Until next time, hail that Satan. <laughs>